Welcome to the Birthing Ad Bod Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the next installation of the Birthing Dads podcast. Today I'm joined by Stuart from Melbourne. G'day Stuart. How are you going? Not too bad mate. Um, uh, Congratulations on on your your transition into fatherhood and um, really pleased that you've uh, decided to join us today. Do, Do you want to just kind of give us a little bit of background about your family, yourself, what you do, that kind of thing? Sure. Um, so I'm, as you'll probably hear, I'm from England originally um, and came over uh, about 11 years ago to, to play hockey for six months and ended up staying. So, um, yeah, and I met, um, met Jamie, who's my wife. Um, we actually met in the most modern way you can through uh, um, online dating. Right. Um, <laughs> so um, we actually went to a wedding a, like a little while back, but there was a whole table full of like people who had met on Tinder. So it was a bit of a um, fun talking point. Um, yeah, so we we got married in 2019, um, just before probably the worst two years we'll experience <laughs> for, for a while, uh, you know, yeah. uh, with COVID and everything. But um and Jamie was actually, so she was finishing off her PhD um, in uh, the sort of early part of 2020. And that's when we kind of decided, like during the lockdowns, and we had sort of other plans to uh, travel and things like that. But with the forecast of COVID, we kind of then had the conversation that we wanted to have a family and um, right, so she wasn't doing enough with a PhD, so she yeah. thought, "Oh, I could become a mum at the same time. Why not?" Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't do things by halves, the two of us. So, because oh, <laughs> I'd also actually that year gone full time in my own business, um, so we just thought that was the perfect time to add in an extra layer of complexity to our lives. So interesting. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. <laughs> and your son, daughter, daughter. Yeah, daughter. So how she, old? She, She's just turned one um, last month, um, so 13 months um, in parent talk. So, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Look, um, one of the things I like to do is just go through what I'm calling a hot minute, where mm-hmm. I just ask you a few quick uh, questions and it's just a very quick answer. So do you prefer, prefer the forest or the beach? Forest. Car or motorbike? Car. What's your favourite sport? Hockey. And the best moment? Uh, scoring in the grand final in 2019 excellent and your travel destination if money was absolutely no problem um heli skiing in canada or alaska what do you do for work uh i'm a software developer but i run i run a company now so yeah excellent would you like to say what it is Ah, uh, so it's uh, we do um, promotional microsites and like the data analytics on um, consumer promotions and what's your favorite food uh curry curry what what curry probably a, a lamb address i'd say it's very popular indian food in the in the uk isn't it it is yeah yeah it used to be like it was a 
silly thing, but it used to be the place that you can go and underage drink. So when you're 16 or 17, you can go have a curry and get served beers. So. Uh, right. I thought it was also part of the culture to be the place to go after a couple of beers on a Friday night. Oh, yeah, it is too. But when you're, when you're underage and that's the only place we'll serve you, they'll, um, yeah, they'll, it's a good place to go. Thanks for the tip. Um, <laughs> have you got any hobbies? So hockey's my, my main one, really. Um, so I spend a few days a week doing that. Okay, and music genre? Quite broad, but I'd say probably my favourite is rock. And what's your favourite artist? Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. Yeah, been to see them far too many times. <laughs> your favourite film? Uh, Inglorious Bastards. All right, Brad Pitt. Yeah. Nice one. And uh, what makes you laugh? I quite enjoy kind of stand-up comedy, um, so like Jimmy Carr, that sort of thing. Jimmy Carr. And if you've got a free day to do something that you want to do other than hockey, what is it? Um, we like going on like hikes and getting into the outdoors, yeah. Okay. And what's a cute thing that your little one does? What's her name? Alice. Alice. What's a cute yep. thing that Alice does? At the moment, it's the, it's the copying. Like I was scratching my head the other day and she just starts up like, moving her hand on her head. And um, if you like tilt your head sideways, she'll tilt it back and look at you and give you a big smile. So, yeah, I like and that. And is there anything that isn't so cute that she's currently doing? Um, it's oh, this morning when I dropped her off at daycare. She's only recently started daycare um, and she just burst into tears and that's heartbreaking. So <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah. dropping them off at those times. is Yeah, yeah it's a struggle, isn't it? Yeah. On the odd day. Is she is she normally like that or is it just on the odd occasion? She's, she's usually, um, I mean, she's only actually, that's only a, a sixth day at daycare. Um, so she, she kind of went okay to begin with. And now it's in the last like two or three days, two or three times she's went, she's just not enjoyed it. Um, but we've also not had like a good run at daycare yet because she's only going two days a week. Um, she's not kind of had that consistency to know the people well enough. So I think that's hard as well. Yeah, so she'll probably gain some attachment to those people and over time. And yeah, and yeah you, you won't be able to stop her. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's um, move into, uh, you know, the, the kind of body of the, of the podcast. And, and I, just before conception, um, mm-hmm. did you go through any, you know, like conversations and, and do anything preconception that yeah, you'd like so, to share? I mean, like... Uh, I'd I've wanted kids ever since I can kind of remember like I've always wanted to be a dad um and so out of the two of us like I know like the norms of society say it's usually the woman that's um you know bringing it up and making conversation but actually it's it was me um a lot of the time and so yeah we um we did have um the conversation around like uh when's the best time um and also my wife's got um PCOS like polycystic ovarian syndrome which can make it um, harder or take longer to conceive so that was actually part of our conversation like you know we don't want to leave it too late because we were sort of in our early 30s so we kind of had that conversation um, and that if it did take us longer like there's there's sort of more risks involved in um, getting to that kind of age where they then call it a geriatric pregnancy which is kind of ludicrous when a 35 year old's called geriatric but (laughs) um yeah so we had conversations around that um and prepared ourselves that it might take quite a while and then it was all to do you know removing um the goalie as I like to call it but like Jamie had the um 
implant on stick um, in the arm as as birth control. And so, um, so yeah, so we and then also like we had that conversation with the doctor as well. Like we went into a GP appointment and talked about um, yeah preparing to conceive really. Um, yeah, preconception health and what what was the advice? Uh, so that we we got the um sort of standard things like jamie was told that you know it'd be better if she wasn't consuming much alcohol if any um and also considering just kind of starting the kind of pregnancy diet because just in case you get pregnant and you don't know for a little while like it's good for the health of the baby um i was also told that i i should probably cut back on the beers as well um yeah yeah that's right it takes two to tango mate (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) Yeah, it was those kind. Of, and then we just got the general um, sort of talk about um, the uh, sort of uh, ovulation cycle and that sort of stuff. Yeah, peak fertility. And, and how did you measure that? What was your strategy? So it actually happened too quick for us to get into a like routine of checking. We're, we're basically, so in the August of the year that um, Jamie got pregnant, it was like the middle of the month that she had the implant on stick out. And by 5th of September, she had tested, um, yeah, she was pregnant. Because she had, like, they told us, like, we've taken the implant on stick out. It can take, it can take a couple of months for that actually to completely wear off and, like, its effects to subside. And so you might have, like, you know, she might have had irregular periods throughout that um, time and, and things like that. But So you didn't even have to have time off the beers. <laughs> what a bonus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And did you take any any supplements at all? No, no. I, I mean, at the time, I was I was in pretty good shape at the time. Like we had been training for prior to COVID, we'd been training for um, running the Oxfam hundred kilometer um, walk, and then I'd switched over once COVID started to actually training for a half Ironman. So I've like I was kind of cautious about what I was eating at the time as well. Um, I was just we were just both in a good spot health wise, so. Yeah, you were just in good shape. Yeah, excellent. And then, so you fall pregnant, and how did that feel? Like, well, so <laughs> I was over the moon, but like the it was actually a little bit. Um, we weren't a hundred percent sure because it was such a faint line on the pregnancy test that we were like, could this just be a false positive? And and even like you know, took another one a couple of weeks later, still very faint line. But so we're kind of like, well, that's two that have shown something. But yeah, and then we we had it. Um, confirmed by the doctor a couple of weeks later and then had this first scan which I just yeah that was amazing so you you did one and then you, you waited a whole couple of weeks before doing another my partner would have would have went out and got three more <laughs> from all different manufacturers yeah right <laughs> no we, we we tried to be a bit patient I think like I mean if it had probably been down to me I would have yeah, had her take them on every day just to be sure and to make sure nothing had happened because yeah, I was super excited, just over the moon. Yeah, and and then so you go for the first scan at, or or because it was a higher risk pregnancy, did you did you have to monitor it a bit? So they uh, we did kind of have the option. I think um, what we ended up doing is paying for a private scan because the within the um, public system we weren't quite classed as a high risk. Just because she has PCOS doesn't mean that she was high risk. It's just more that um, the conception can take longer. Um, and I think she had a higher risk of also having 
gestational diabetes, which also didn't happen, luckily. Um, but we ended up paying for a scan, I want to say like eight to 10 weeks. I think it was maybe 10 weeks. Yeah. Pay for one ourselves and just check that everything was okay, which it was. So that was great. And you, you went along to that? How did that feel? Oh, it was incredible. Like, because we were, it was actually um, one of the reasons we also paid for a scan is the public system was still under COVID restrictions of um, not allowing partners in. And so we were, we were able to find a, a private one that would let me come with her. So yeah, that was, but yeah, just, I remember sitting there and kind of, you know, having the mask on, but kind of welling up a little bit. So <laughs> no one could see me sort of like holding back. Like, yeah. Yeah. It kind of becomes a little more real, doesn't it? You know, you see the, the, the evidence, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And so as the pregnancy went along, um, you know, just was, how, how, how was that for you? It honestly was, um, it was a very uh, calm and relaxing pregnancy, really. Like we didn't have any point of, you know, urgent trips to the emergency room because movement had stopped or anything like that. Like it was all fairly standard. Um, At one point did think that Jamie might have um, got GD, but um, she went in for a test and and it was all clear. Yeah, I mean, Jamie didn't even, I don't think she got um, morning sickness at all really like she might have had one or two moments um where she was just a bit more prone to the smells of things causing her a bit of nausea but yeah it was as far as a pregnancy goes like it was it was a very kind of I don't want to say easy uneventful yeah uneventful that's a much better word because if if my wife heard me say easy I think (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah um and did you do it like what kind how involved were you around that time like you were talking about you know what kind of births she'd like and I was keen to kind of you know learn a lot more about it so I actually got a few of the books that are directed at men and I was actually that was one of my big disappointing bits is the standard the kind of language that's used around men's involvement is so condescending and like it's just so crappy like I was reading this stuff going, is that really the standard? Is that the bar that we're at? And unfortunately it is, but I was pretty saddened by it. Like I bought a couple of books I ended up throwing out. And I was like, I don't even want to give these books away to anybody else because they're just, they're one of them was listing the appointments that you probably don't need to go to. I was like, I want to be at all of them, you know, because it's not just about whether there's useful information. It's about what your wife's going through. Like, is she supported and is she feeling like loved and like you're both going, you know, you're at least trying to take as much of the load as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm, I'm glad you point that out. And, and I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that the, the, the level of conversation around, you know, men involved in this uh, in this process, the perinatal uh, space, which is, you know, conception to one year old is really Homer Simpson-like. It, mm. it is still kind of behind uh, what modern dad, modern parenting is, is like for the average bloke. And, you know, and that's, that's part of the reason why I'm involved in this work. Uh, and just, just to kind of, you know, explain that a little bit more, I'd say that the best book out there is something called The Birth Partner by Penny Simpkins. Now, that was the only one that I found in all of my research that actually was serious and actually tried to, you know, impart some kind of um, knowledge and wisdom around what your role is during this time. So, um, yeah, yeah, a lot of the books are, as you say, really unhelpful and they're just in a blokey kind of jokey kind of, you know, taking the piss kind of, yeah. uh, you know, way. So 
because of like the woman is going through such a a big change in her body and like you know it's all it's everything is like you know Mm, it's physical and emotional yeah exactly and it does look from the outside you kind of go oh like the men the man's part is just so small it's it kind of feels insignificant but having people out there like you know um, what you're doing and um where it's kind of no, just because it is a small part of it doesn't mean it's any less important. And that's also, it's big for the person. Like I find our society talks about pain and emotions in a really odd way that we try and compare them. We kind of go, oh, because the woman's going through all of this, that this small bit should be, you know, they should be able to cope with it. It's like, it's all subjective. You know, this is not something I've ever been through before. I've not had really like close relationships with people who have been through it before either. You know, it's all new. So where, like, how do I cope with it? Yes. Jamie's going through a lot worse, a lot more, sorry, not worse, but a lot more. And she has, you know, there are a lot of support structures in place for that, um, that we are still lacking the kind of support for just giving men knowledge. Yeah. Oh, the way the way I like to kind of uh, clarify that is to say, you know, a woman is going through a significant experience, but that doesn't mean that dad's experience is insignificant. Hmm. And that, and and I think we are. There's a real missed opportunity in this in this time of life for new parents because dads are not given that kind of recognition of just how powerful they are in this space and and how yeah. much of a difference they can make in, in the birth suite and during pregnancy. You know, if you're an engaged dad during pregnancy, it's really the research shows that the outcomes for the child and the mother and the dad are actually vastly improved. And, you know, and I think that, like I say, that's a missed opportunity that we we are not actually engaging dads at this time. So, um, but it's great, great to know that you did those things. And and so you spoke about a, a birthing plan or did you do any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so um, with the birthing plan, we knew that we wanted to have certain things written down as nice to haves, but we did kind of keep it a lot more. We didn't um, subscribe ourselves to the birth plan so much that it was a disappointment when it didn't go to plan. Um, because, and like there, there, a lot of people will tell you through the process, like you can have like the most perfect plan written out and really early on, it can take a diversion that will never bring it back to what you want. Um, like for example, for example, for us, we wanted to have um, a water birth, but we ended up having an emergency C-section. That, like an, an induction and, and sorry, induction followed by an emergency C-section, that the water birth like was w- wiped off the table really early on in the birthing process. Um, and so, if we had kind of had that, had our heart set on it, and weren't able to kind of acknowledge a different path might be um, possible it's probably more emotionally taxing on both of you to pivot at the time rather than kind of go, yes, we'd like this, but if this happens, here's how we'd want to do, want to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process of expectation management, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, if you're expecting a a certain outcome then, and you don't get that outcome, it can be, uh, you know, it can actually affect your mental health. Um, Yeah. I think, I think my partner and I, you know, we, we probably made that mistake. Right. Yeah. Of expecting it to be one way and and then, you know, not not having that and, and being, you know, quite disappointed that it didn't go that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had our hearts set on, on a certain certain way. So 
Okay, so yeah, you mentioned induction. So let's let's start with um, you know, you're 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 at home and how did it kick off? What happened? Yeah, so um, we'd we'd got to the point where it was after forty weeks, um, you'd book in and see a, a um, I think it was a midwife, and they'd start to talk about you know if it gets to this point, let's talk about induction, um, and they actually just phoned us on. I think it was a Friday morning, so a 41 and four days at that point. And they, because we had planned that we were going to go in on the Monday, and they phoned us on the Friday and said, We've actually got space at the moment. Do you want to take, you know, do you want to come in today instead of Monday? And so we kind of said, Can we call you back? Like, you know, this is quite, a, you know, it's bringing something that's quite big forward. Um, but a, a quick conversation between, between us sort of said, Well, it's unlikely to change, you know, there's been no signs of going into spontaneous labor. Um, and so why not? Like, why not do it now instead of um, next week? Um, so, yeah, we pretty much phoned them back and said, yep. And they said, come in at two o'clock. Um, and so, and that's the point that it kind of hit home with Jamie. Like she did get quite emotional after that phone call with a bit of fear. Like it was, I think it, until it, it kicks off, it's still something in the future that like, you know, it's not happening now, so I can like kind of compartmentalize it and everything like that. But once it was confirmed that, you know, by the next day she would be in active labor, she did start to get um, emotional about that. But what we did, we decided, well, let's take the dogs for a walk at the park, the local park that we really like, kind of try and just do stuff that's going to take take your mind off it slightly, but be a quite kind of like, a healthy way to process stuff like so if we needed that quiet time at the park just walking with the dogs it does help to process things being outside I find and you're encouraging her at this time are you kind of you know giving a, a little bit of you know, confidence boost yeah and, and trying to just you know um I think talk about the the bits that we'd learned in the um our birth classes you know talking about how that we were going to deal with stuff and you know making sure that like kind of going through the bag and going, yeah, we've definitely got this, like doing a kind of second check to make sure that there was no, you know, weren't going to get there and um, not have like the tens machine or, or um, other bits that we felt were quite um, necessary for us. And yeah, and just kind of just being there and like, you know, giving hugs and like that physical touch and everything just to kind of calm the nerves. Did you consider any natural induction kind of techniques? Did you think about that or? Um, so we had, I mean, like there have been some that we'd kind of been doing anyway, like, you know, going like all the kind of walking on uneven surfaces and that sort of stuff. And we'd been doing that um, for the last kind of week or so anyway. The only one definitely like, and the advice, the the myth about the spicy food one is apparently a myth and also isn't very good if you end up the following day after having a big spicy meal of being actually in labor right yeah <laughs> but for other listeners can you explain the uneven walking uh you know kind of method so that i mean that's kind of like you know um, walking with like with one foot off a curb or like just on uneven ground it's supposed to try to kind of move the pelvis and move the baby down into the the sort of um into the pelvis ready for birth and to try and kind of encourage that um process to start um, it really just didn't happen for us. Alice was very much happy and cozy in there, so was <laughs> in it for the long run, really. Yeah. So, so you go into into the um, on Friday. Was it on Friday that you went in? Friday other? 
Yep. So Friday, Arvo, and we I went into the hospital, um, and that that was a bit strange because we got to the waiting room, and I went down and said, you know, like we're here for this. Is Jamie checking in? There, okay. Yep. No worries. Just take a seat in the waiting room. We'll, like we're a bit busy right now, but we'll be with you, you know, in a bit. It might be an hour or so. And I was like, yep. No worries. We just kind of sat and had a chat and um, put some music on for Jamie and that sort of stuff. And after about an hour and a half, and I sort of wander down back down to the, the check and the desk area. And I was like, Oh, just checking in. Like, you know, we've been, Oh, well, someone will be with you soon. No worries. Yeah. Okay. Now the hour passes and then we get a phone call. Um, as Box Hill hospital. We're still waiting for Jamie to come in. I was like, I've been down twice. Like we're literally in your waiting room. Um, so that was a bit of a, uh, you know, misunderstanding. Yeah. We'll just call it that. Yeah. But, you know, that, uh, after that, they, you know, was, they were lovely. Like, you know, they apologised profusely. They were like, really sorry. Like, we just kind of got caught up with some other bits going on. So uh, we're pretty chill. Like, we just were like, yep, yeah, no stress. Like, it's not a... Yeah, midwives are definitely overworked and underpaid, I think. You Absolutely. Know, there's no doubt about it in the hospital system. They're very understaffed at the moment, which is which is partly why dads should be more engaged and involved and maybe take a little bit of weight off them, I reckon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we got shown to the room, you know, kind of checked in and then um, the the midwife came in and explained like, you know, basically Jay would have a balloon catheter put in um, the night before. Um, and still we did have hopes that if that triggered it, if that, because that can in some cases um, trigger just spontaneous labor which is a good thing um so they were like if that still happens the water birth is still on the table and so we're like great you know um and then i was very quickly ushered out because of covid rules so they were just like you can't you can't be here come back tomorrow at about 6 a.m oh how did that feel mate that was it was hard because i just wanted to be there like be supportive and you know kind of and i felt like she would be lonely like you know it was leaving her in a place that they've not got it's not like they were providing other support options for her it was just like taking away the one support option that she would have had normally and logically I just couldn't wrap my head around the logic of it either if because of the, you know, the the risk of COVID infection if I leave I'm more likely to pick it up somewhere else and bring it back the next day rather than if I just stayed if I you know like if we stay, then I'm not moving around and potentially picking up. So I didn't understand the logic of it either, um, which made it quite hard. Um, I'm a programmer. Like I just, I try to, like I think fairly logically and like kind of try and need to understand why things are the way they are. Um, and so that was kind of also a little bit difficult to deal with because I know in the private system at the same time, the rule was once you're in, you're in and you can't leave. And then once you're out, you can't come back until they're being checked out, which kind of just made a bit more sense. So that was difficult. But what I did, I had sort of arranged with a friend because we knew that was going to happen. I'd arranged with a friend to go over to their house and have dinner there and just kind of take my mind off of it as much as I could. Um, watch a movie. Um, yeah. And I literally like it's, you know, woke up the first even hint of an alarm jumped out of bed got changed and raced in just before we we go on to that how was how was Jamie when you were you know asked to leave how was that how did that impact your partner um I think she was okay at the time like um yeah we've talked about it since and I think she did you know she barely slept that night um because it was very uncomfortable like balloon catheters aren't exactly the most comfortable thing to have in um 
I think she just kind of she accepted it for what it was like she she was able to kind of go well you know it's not going to change by being upset by it um but in in hindsight we've as we've talked about it more it probably did affect her more than she led on at the time um because she would have yeah she did feel lonely throughout the night when she was you know things were hurting or um she just tries trying to walk around and not sleeping and she then by not sleeping she was also getting worked up and worried about the fact that you know you need a lot of energy like to go through labor it's a you know huge huge thing to go through and not sleeping she was then getting like concerned that you know that was going to affect her ability to go through labor and, and give the energy to it so yeah not 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 the greatest um but she she's quite a put a brave face on it kind of type of person like she does um try and not spiral i guess um but this i think that can also like it's not always the healthiest way to deal with things either because it's suppressing yeah that's just technically suppressing something rather than just allowing yourself to feel it so yeah it was all it's all a bit just a bit of a, a muddle we we knew it was coming but at the same time when you're actually being asked to leave you kind of i there was a bit of me that hoped like ah oh, they maybe have this as a policy but once you're in there they might be like don't worry about it like just stay but nope they they asked me to leave and um just yeah it was frustrating it was so you go to your friends you have dinner you go home and you rush back there as soon as you can or yeah so they said to be back because the, the ward doesn't open till seven i don't think for any kind of visitors but um i ended up getting there at about uh 6 15 6 20 as so, like literally as i got there someone was walking out the ward so i just walked through the door and found Jamie's room and walked straight past the desk because I was like put your invisibility cloak on and kind of (laughs) skulked through the corridor wow yeah (laughs) yeah Um, so it was a bit of luck but um but it was good because then at that time the one of the midwives was preparing Jamie with um, the monitors and they was all the ones she was sat on the bed and they were putting the monitors and all wired in and we knew that they have uh, bluetooth monitors and so that's when I was like, oh, sorry, like, it looks like she's going to have to be in the bed. Like, can we get one of the Bluetooth ones? Good pickup there. Um, and just explain why that's important, though. Uh, so, they could, so she can move about like it's... Um, Keep active. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the sort of Hollywood per, um, perception of birth is that they lie in the bed the whole time. And then, you know, you just give birth right at the, you know, right at the end. But it's it's such a long process that lying in a bed for that whole time is just not good for the process it doesn't help like by uh, by moving like you said earlier with the you know uneven steps and stuff like that it allows you to like move the pelvis and move like so the baby actually helps get down into the birth canal just it's also boring like if, if your labor goes for you know 30 plus hours or however long it goes for that's a really long time to lie in a bed. Yeah, you need to move around. The essence of birth is movement, and uh, and absolutely right. Just the yeah, when when you're lying on your back, the pelvis is compressed, and it's not actually yeah. um, you know allowing space for baby. So yeah, you're right. Hollywood has not given us a good service <laughs> there. I, I, there's a lot of things that Hollywood um, misses on the old birth scale, but um, yeah. And so uh, yeah, and when and when you're having continuous fetal monitoring, there's uh, there's wires, and you have to be attached to the to the unit, and and the Bluetooth ones are, are much more preferable. Did did they end up? Yeah, so yeah, the, the, we had at that time. So it was, and it was 
she was fi- finishing her shift and uh, you know like we said earlier they're overworked underpaid you know that it is stressful but she, it felt like she was a bit more of an old school midwife and when I asked for that so that we could move around there was a bit of like a oh, oh okay um it that's the thing like um to the you know men listening who are going to be going through this for the first time the biggest thing you can be as an advocate for your wife or your partner or whoever it is the birthing person um is is to to go to bat for them because you know jamie's got enough to think about like with with what's happening with her body um and you've we've talked about before what her you know wishes were in terms of being able to move about throughout the whole labor you know it was an easy thing to pick up on and go no hang on like we know that this is an option we we'd like this to be the case and that's the other thing is that through the whole process like you do have choices they might not always lay them out on the table for you but you do have choices and it's and that's important to go go to bat for for both of you yeah i'm glad you brought that up as well it's um a way of summarizing it is that you're the consumer in a sense Hmm. so you've got rights and you can actually ask for you know things to be the way that you've you've spoken about the way that your partner's you know her preferences and the more you know about those preferences, the better you are able to kind of, go, as you say, go into bat for her. So, so Jamie's been in labour now for twelve hours or so. You're you're in there, is that right? Well, it's hard to like. She had the balloon catheter in for about twelve hours, um, but the induction actually started in the morning. So they, when they um, start giving the the hormone that induces labour, um, so that that starts that started about. 6 30 something like that um that she started receiving the the drip and then it's fairly soon after that that you know she starts to feel the first sign of contractions yeah and that was um it all started very calmly like they start as a very small dose and basically build it up over time to increase the contractions and try and help move things along so she she had started that and that's the thing, like we just started moving around. We started doing everything we could to to help. Like we had one of the um, peanut balls like the that she could actually lean on and, and be in a position because I think it's yeah slightly bent over is a pretty good position. Yeah, on all fours on the peanut ball, leaning, leaning over it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great position, yeah. Yeah, and, and then it is just a, it's a case of it gets quite, not boring, but it's just a, a, a long process. So we started just watching a few things on Netflix and and that sort of stuff. I brought my laptop in so we could actually watch whatever we wanted because um, the hospital does have, you know, TVs, but they don't necessarily always have good stuff on them. <laughs> and and so she's still attached to, she's still getting syntocin? Yep. The, the synthetic hormone? Yep. Okay. And so what happens next? um so it goes through so we we go through about six hours of the the first bit of syntocin up to i think 60 or 70 milligrams whatever it is and at that point then they you know suggest uh internal exam just to see how things are progressing and check the dilation things like that and so they she does that which like it's not a pleasant thing for the woman to go through like it's um can feel quite invasive you know, Jamie was like, well, we, you know, it's better to know what's happening. So she was about three centimetres dilated at that point. Um, but they were like, look, we would expect that to be a bit further on after six hours. So we're going to start upping the doses. Like, you know, you seem to be coping with the contractions quite well. But at this point, because 
So a midwife, I think they've they've kind of got free reign to go up to that level of syntose, and then they need a doctor to come and basically authorize to go higher. And so they, you know, each hour, I think it was every hour or something like that, that they start to increase the dose um, to produce like bigger and stronger contractions. And that's where things started not to go wrong, not to go wrong, but just not as as smoothly as you'd hope, because I think it's a bit of a, it seemed to be um, afterwards, it's a bit of a guessing game with syntocin, like it absolutely is that the, the you know everyone's uterus is different so uh, and and their reaction to that to that uh, synthetic hormone mm. is obviously different so you're right I, I think it is very difficult for them to kind of know about the calibration per person yeah and so therefore it, it is it's a you know it's a trial and error type of thing so if you up, up you turn it up and down it it actually yeah can can cause some issues and problems so yeah what happened um, so it just got to the point um, they turned it up um, to a level that her contractions were lasting well over a minute per contraction, like really intense. A lot of you could see in her, like I know my wife, she is a strong, like she can take a lot, like, you know, she's in terms of like discomfort and things like that. But you could see this is real pain, like, and it was lasting well over a minute. And the distance, the, the time between contractions was 20 to 30 seconds and so she didn't have that time because big contractions are one thing but it's having the time between them to kind of recuperate get ready for the next one and then go again um and that's the point that like because she'd just been using the tens machine but by this point she was in too much pain to even control it herself so i could see the moment that she started going into it so i'd turn the tens machine on which kind of just helps distract from from the pain it's like there's science behind it. I don't know the exact science behind it, but it is just kind of, it's more of a, like taking the the nerve signals and just, dis, yeah, disrupting those so that, um, you know, not. Yeah, it's, yeah, the nerve signals, you're right. Yeah, so it, it actually confuses the brain yeah. and, and, and distracts from the, the actual <laughs> the real discomfort and tries to provide an, an avenue of discomfort in another in another way that, that can, you know, kind of distract the mind. And so the, you know, Jamie was getting really distressed at, at this point. Um, and we, I even, cause then I was like, okay, but well, we need to think of a new like pain management strategy. So I talked to the midwife was like, can we try the gas and air now? Like, cause she hadn't been on any of that up until this point. Um, and we were conscious that there are certain pain management things that either like, if it's the like spinal tap, it means you're in a bed. Um, and then if it's um, sort of any, other drugs that is it can break the placenta wall is that like can go through the well the blood the brain barrier yeah yes exactly so the opioids would get into the baby is what you what yeah about, and so. that's and that can affect the babies a bit like it's it's not necessarily that we're you know super anti it it was like we want to use that as a very last resort we don't think we're there yet and when you get those kind of drugs it affects not only the woman's ability but the baby's ability to aid with birth so we're like not there yet let's just try the gas there which did start to help but it was still you could just see the the, the lack of time of recovery that was just we, we could she couldn't keep going the way it was going and they you know acknowledged at that point that the syntosa was too high so they brought it down but it does take some time to like once you've had that level to kind of wear back down and and get to a manageable um, level again but 
eventually it comes down she starts to be in a bit more control has that bit more of a break between contractions is able to calm herself down from being quite scared and exhausted really um so then back down at a level that's more manageable for her um and at this point it's getting towards time for the next um exam but it's also getting towards evening and they were obviously they were giving jamie food but like not giving me anything because I'm not a patient there, you know, like that's, and and that's like, I was like, whatever. Um, so I, I had ordered some Uber Eats that just to get to the hospital driver sort of, you know, notified me that it was there. Jamie was in a good spot. So I was like, cool. Yep. Go down to collect it. As I'm back up in the room, there's, you know, a doctor, a couple of midwives, things like that. So I was a bit like, oh shit, like what's, what's happened here? It was fine. It was just the fact that they were, they'd done the second internal exam she was still three centimeters, even after all the, but like the higher dosage of the syntocin. And all of that hard work that she'd been going through as well. Yeah. So that's very, you know, it's, it's going to affect her mental toughness at this time when she finds that out, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the point that they said to us, look, from this point, because you haven't moved in, you know, the, the six hours since the last exam, the chances of going to a, a normal vaginal birth are less than 10% from here. So we can either, you know, if you're adamant, you can keep going and that's fine. And we'll just, you know, we'll manage that. But, they, you know, you do have to start thinking about an emergency C-section. And it was almost just a look to each other that we kind of were like, obviously, I would support whatever she wanted to do. If she wanted to keep going for another 20 hours of it, I'd 100% I'd be there, you know, holding her hand, doing everything I could. But, I, yeah, we just looked at each other. I could see in her and I was like, emergency C-section? And she's like, yeah. So we we kind of they got the paperwork ready and that you know started prepping the the theatre room for it. I think that was a bit of relief actually. Like the idea of pushing out a baby anyway is a is quite a scary thing for people to deal with. And so kind of it's just a different set of challenges with an emergency C section. It's not like that you know that you're not gonna suffer or things like that. But it's it's just a different set of challenges, and we just saw that as a better pathway. So um, yeah, agreed to have have that. And then once that happens, the, 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 you say go and, and the room floods with people and, and, Pretty much, you know, yeah. and suddenly you're kind of, you're in a, you're in a process. And so how, how did that all unfold? Um, yeah. So like you said, like it literally turns into from those three people to about six and like, you know, they're all just doing all different bits and their calls going down to the theatre room and about preparation. And I felt like, I mean, I was useless. I was just like, I didn't know like what to do other than just just chat with Jamie and trying to you know talk through stuff obviously the the syntocin still has like is still in the system and so you know it's still actually like you're kind of still trying to help manage it's not like awful like it's not as bad as it was before but like still trying to manage that pain and um, make sure she's feeling okay and they talk about you know they're not, it's not a general anesthetic or anything it's a spinal spinal tap um to deal with the pain management of the c-section so that she would still be awake through the process like i know they do they do them heaps but i was so scared that they were going to do it with me in the room because i I don't think i could have dealt with that um the idea of going into somebody's spine scares the crap out of me that something might go wrong and you know um she would end up with issues afterwards um yeah and and one of the things that when you're having an epidural as well is that the, the anesthetist will say stay still make sure you stay still and she's in the middle of a contraction and you know she has to be in a certain position yeah and 
it's yeah having to keep them still at that point is is obviously another yeah another challenge and and so so how did you handle it in the end in my head I'm like even if you are you've got to be focused on Jamie it's like this isn't about you like just got to focus on Jamie like so they took us both down to the like surgery prep area um or the recovery room then they took Jamie away and were like we'll come and get you once she's in theater ready which I was like thank god because like I don't like it was really freaking me out the idea of this um but then I was also you know I was kind of like I'm hoping Jamie's not scared or like or wanting me there um but even they were, we weren't even given an option. It wasn't like, you know, you can come if you want. They were just like, you stay here. We're, we're taking her away to do that. And then there was just this sort of, I guess, 20 minutes to half hour wait of me just sitting there in a completely empty um, recovery room, no one around. Like that's when you, you know, your head starts to go and you're like, oh, holy shit, like in a, an hour's time, we'll have a baby. Like this is real now. Like this is actually like, even to up into even in the birthing suite and everything like that there was still something about it that wasn't real and then it just started hitting me like crap like this is actually like happening and going through all sorts of different emotions but then you know they come and they come and get you and you take you into theater which in itself there's so many people in the theater room like you when, when they're doing it and the midwife was lovely like she throughout like i think talia was her name and she was just amazing like Throughout, even through the the during the birthing suite, during the like you know trying to help manage the contractions, and even down in the theater and everything, she was just really calm, lovely, like you know very. Shout out to Talia at uh, Box Hill yeah. Hospital in Melbourne. Yes, she was just brilliant, and so she you know she could like she was talking to us through the process. She and my my wife's got um, a certain level of hearing loss, and there were a lot of people talking at her at one time. And Talia had remembered that, like, we had, we had told this to her you know, during the process. So she, she then intervened and said, you, you need to talk one at a time and clearly to her, because everyone's got masks on, like, you know, there's, and there's a lot going on. So that was really good that she, she acknowledged that and made sure that Jamie's, you know, caregivers were actually giving Jamie the care she needed. And so, yeah, like, and, and then it just kind of, they start, you know, say we're starting now, we're making, like, you know, doing the first incision and the big curtain up so you can't see any of this bit but then they you just start to see Jamie kind of just moving and like just kind of being moved around because they're obviously trying to pull a baby out of her uterus like it's it's not a just like cut open and it lifts out and there you go there's a whole process to this and and she was like you know she can feel the 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 movement and what they're doing but there's no pain associated with it it's just this kind of sensation um there and then yeah so she was uh jay was doing really well like she was really kind of calm through it all and kept talking to her and just you know making sure and just comfort her through it yeah reassure her and then then comes the moment where they're like right we're you know gonna lower the lower the curtain and and show you a baby and for some reason like we didn't we didn't know the gender that or the the sex that alice was going to be through the whole pregnancy but we'd had this like I think we just kind of thought it was going to be a boy and like, you know, so, so we'd, and like all our friends have like, they'd just been this, you know, um, sort of running commentary that we like, although we didn't know they were probably having a boy. Yeah. So up pops Alice and you look and both of us went, it's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. One of the few surprises left in life, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, and that's like the even the the staff there were like, you know, we, they rarely get that now that people will actually because people want to do those gender reveal things, and nowadays, like you know, they don't get heaps of people that genuinely don't know. And so it was as we're like, oh, it's it's a girl, like you know, over the moon, like yeah, it was genuinely just a. I was expecting that moment to be very different. The moment you first see your first firstborn child. I was expecting this thunderbolt of love to come through me and like just, you know, burst into tears and like yes. have that kind of um, moment of bonding where you just see this little baby and know that you know, you're Fall deeply, madly, completely in love. Yeah, sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it just, for me, it just didn't happen like that. Like I, you know, I, I, I knew in my, like in my heart, like I had a, what am I trying to say like kind of like I felt like I care for this child very deeply and like I know I want to like protect it and help it and everything like that but it just wasn't this thunderbolt of love and I didn't have this like deep um, feeling inside me and I was like I feel cheated I was like this is meant to be the moment that like you know you talk about and everything like that and I kind of started having this internal dialogue in my head like what's like what's wrong like everyone talks about this moment like it's that moment that you get and that's really like hard to deal with but you know you've got other things going on like then they like you know come over and you can cut the umbilical cord just like well they've already cut it they leave it longer and then you can come cut it shorter basically and even that I was like I love babies like you know I just was holding her I was like it could be someone else's baby though like it might like I just didn't have that kind of like yeah deep feeling unreal kind of not not kind of grounded reality kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, like we and then took it over to, like we took it over to Jamie and like we wanted to have that skin to skin for Jamie. So we put her on, Very important. Yeah, on, on Jamie's chest. Um, and then unfortunately, like, and it can happen with um, C-sections. Jamie just started getting very, very cold, very nauseous. Like, I can't remember exactly why, but basically, you know, she was starting to kind of, feel very sick so they had a bag well, we took Alice off her and um you know gave Jamie a bag and they, they sort of put more blankets on her and everything and just tried to kind of keep her warm um and after you know five or ten minutes she did start to like sort of stabilize again and we could bring Alice back to her and, and put her back on her chest while they sort of you know finished up the surgery and yeah and then and then so like I'm holding her and um like we have to put her back because basically if you move around with a baby they don't want you to carry the baby in a in a hospital that's all that's the experience I had is that if you're going to move with it you put it down back into her little roller bassinet thing and roll it back to the next area because obviously you know I think they've probably had in the past where people have been got a bit dizzy and you know from from all the overwhelming parts of like um, being in a surgical room yeah, it's not uncommon for dads to faint. Yeah, exactly. So I th- <laughs> it, it's happened. And it's also not uncommon for dads to have the experience that you had as well, mm. like that, you know, and you don't get that bolt, the bolt of love. I mean, I think it's on a spectrum, you know, at one end you've got the bolt of love and at the other end you've got indifference and maybe you were somewhere in between, but um, yeah, can be confronting because you kind of expect it to be a certain yeah. way. But I think it's important to recognise that it's not always like that and sometimes it takes a little bit of time to just... yeah. All right. So what what happened next? So, you know, taking baby home or, you know, how was that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's like a bit more to the, uh, just the end of the kind of um, uh, birth story is that yeah. um, 
when we by the time we got back up to the like because we got back up and we were placed in a different room um the sort of like post i guess post birth ward as we were up there because i was having a cuddle with alice and i could see jamie just starting to get really uncomfortable and just kind of like shifting around a bit and just suddenly her pain just ramps up like this because i think this was getting to that sort of three out of a couple of hours after the surgery and so the spinal tap was starting to wear off and she just goes from zero to a hundred in pain or not zero but like you know from where she was to like nine out of ten pain is what she was saying really excruciating really like you're crying just like bent over like which isn't good you know she's just had you know stitches and everything um so I called I pressed the nurse call button and like you know explained they're like we'll get the doctor so the doctor comes in um and starts doing like a pain assessment, which they obviously have to do for that. Um, but what they think is basically like the um, uterus was still contracting, um, like as the spinal tap had worn off. And so that's contracting on an open wound, like on a, on a wound that's just been sewn up. Um, and so basically they, they were like, the doctor said, look, we'll, we'll give some morphine. This will get the pain back under control it'll take a few minutes to to kick in and I was like because I was trying to you know listen because Jamie couldn't obviously like she was in so much pain she couldn't hear what the doctors and nurses was telling her that okay a few minutes to call so they they injected her with the morphine um and then they all kind of left and so I was sat there with like with a baby with a like you know my wife in excruciating pain of me completely like you know powerless in the situation like could do nothing 10 or 15 minutes went past and nothing had changed and like you know in in my head I was playing over so the doctor said a few minutes like and it'll kick in so I called the nurse back the nurse comes in I said look it's been like 15 minutes this not touch aside we need to do something else you know and she was like oh morphine can take up to half an hour to kick in I was like that's like it was such a, a kind of uh a moment I felt like they just hadn't prepared me for that like kind of if they had said from the start can take up to half an hour I know I just need to try and like keep Jamie calm and like you know give any comfort I could you know she could get through that half an hour but when you've got an expectation of a few minutes and then it's still after 15 minutes not not doing anything was yeah it was very difficult um and really like just to see your wife in that much pain and that much discomfort was very very confronting and to just know you literally have no power like no power in the situation whatsoever and that's something that I I've have like now I've spoken to like I've spoken to my psychologist about is there's a lot of moments through the through the pregnancy through the birth and through early parts of parenting as well the first kind of you know the fourth trimester is that you are powerless like you you know you can provide support you can provide comfort but there is a lot that is completely out of your control. And I think that, you know, I, I personally have a difficulty with it. And I think quite a lot of men have difficulty with not being in control of things like, and, and, and having to allow things to take their course. Um, and, and that's, yeah, something that's been very um, like quite a key point in um, talking to a, a therapist about is how, how do you kind of deal with those emotions now that they've passed? Like you can still like deal with them even months after it. Were you seen a psychologist before you became a father? No, I um I've had seen one in the past, um, but like I hadn't for uh, quite a few years. 
Um, and it was very early on because um, they do like there is quite a lot of information now given to you, like like the depression and anxiety associated with parenthood and everything like that. You know, they are there's a much better conversation going on than there used to be. Um, and so I, I kind of went to my GP and I said, look, there are things that happened that I'm struggling with. And there's also parts of parenting that I'm really worried about. Um, like I didn't have the best relationship with my dad. And so I, I had a lot of anxiety around bringing that into my parenting. Um, and so, yeah, then, you know, it was, it's been really good for me to, to have that sort of layer of support. Um, and particularly at the moment with the, they have done a lot, they've got a lot of additional mental health support, um, on Medicare, like available. So take it like it's, it's really worth it. And don't also, if you do seek out support, don't just like accept the first person you meet that it can be a process of finding the right person for you. No, that's very good advice. And um, yeah, I, I second that. It's really important to um, to not only seek help, but to 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 find, you know, someone that you really click with and and just keep on searching until you do, because there are people yeah. that you definitely have a connection with. And um, thanks for for sharing that. And and so you, you mentioned that you um, you want to explore maybe a little bit about the fatherhood journey, like the the kind of you said you didn't have a great role model in fatherhood and and therefore that, that uh how did that impact your ability to kind of like you know father your way yeah um so one of the one of the key things that um i was really worried about is um anger um and and kind of and i know it's it's such a high stress situation particularly those first few months when you're sleep deprived you know my wife could like really struggled with post post c-section you're not allowed to drive for uh what 12 weeks something like that and it's very isolating for them because you know unless i'm taking them somewhere the freedom has been ripped out from beneath her um and even walking like she couldn't walk long distances because you've got you're basically you know it's quite a serious operation that they go through and that's a big recovery from that it really is yeah um so that was really difficult but yeah so high stress situation I knew how like damaging anger and and that sort of thing can be um to children so one of the things I was I'd sort of initially talked about was what to do when it's 3 a.m you're like you've been up all night trying to settle this baby that just keeps screaming at you um and the best advice it's uh very true is if you're feeling like you're in a difficult situation, like where, where you feel like anger's within you and that sort of stuff is place a baby back down the cot where they're safe, walk away to a, like, you know, we've got two floors. So go downstairs, turn the kettle on, make a cup of tea. Yes, they are going to keep crying, but five minutes of crying isn't going to hurt them. But it gives you that detach that you can kind of then just breathe, like, you know, breathing such a, a huge thing in, in mental health. And also um, I've also got, very into like cold exposure um and that's that's something that they're now uh, there's a lot of research going into and a lot of um stuff that it, it can just snap you out of this kind of um spiral of thoughts and and it's enough to then okay so you breathe you calm yourself back down to a point that you go this is just a baby like it's not doing it it's not doing it to me yeah and they're just trying to tell you something aren't they you know yeah <laughs> 
Um, and so that was that was a really good piece of advice. And then and then I used to, I then started. I kind of thought this up for myself. In is that whenever I was going to get her when she was crying, in in her cot, I'd stop at the door and think to myself, "Am I like? Am I going in with love? Like, am I going in from a place of love?" And it meant I could actually stop myself from being frustrated at this this little baby that's just trying to survive and you can kind of go okay no I can't I can approach this in a loving way and you it's just a whole different mindset that really helps when things are really tough because they will be like you know I think we actually talking to some of our friends as well we had a pretty pretty easy first few months compared with other people but like we said like we said early on in in the um in our chat like it's a subjective thing like hard food like it was still hard for us because that's what we experienced just because it wasn't the same as somebody else experienced doesn't mean it was any less hard it's just a subjective thing that we kind of go when it's 3am and a baby screaming at you that's hard everyone anyone would find that hard um so yeah absolutely but i really like that that kind of use of mindfulness you know before walking in that room and saying am I walking with love I really I really really like that that's amazing advice and and I think that that's um just something that you should practice constantly yeah yeah isn't it you know if you do feel and and it is it is that mind mindfulness around being conscious of your state of mind and I think you know and 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 again like you said if you if you're feeling yes you know you're starting to boil boil over a bit yeah yeah put the baby down and just and just and then walk away and try and think what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're all, they're always just after, after a certain thing and you just got to go through the list, yep. you know, start at the most common and, uh, and then work through, work through that list and just, you know, but sometimes, yeah, that, that they're just going to continue crying and there's not much you can do about it yep. except be mindful of the fact, am I approaching this with love? I think that's really great advice. Yeah. All right. So you, you kind of, you're, through all that now you you yep. know i i guess i mean it's still you know you've still got a an infant in the house and you know it's not all it's not all beer and skittles but um but uh so how's it how's it all going now really well like i mean we had a tough year in other senses it was probably quite um it was quite good that alice was as far as babies go an easy baby cuz um when she was 3 months old my um wife's mum died um which was like it was very sudden, like it was not like, you know, not expected. Um, and she was a you know big support person for my wife that's um, no longer around. Um, and m- none of my family are in Australia. Um, and to, to, so they're all in the UK. So our support network took a hit. Um, and it's something I would really like recommend to people is try and as much as you can broaden your support network but prior so so there's people around and we we were lucky with our friends like you know um they would come over and and help where they could um but there is something a little bit different Fam- family are able to provide just that extra level of support that um maybe friends just just qu- can't give to you like you know they've got their own stuff going on they've got their own families and things like that so um yeah that was that was really hard um um, obviously, you know, there was still that kind of lingering thing from COVID and everything um, and uh, financially as well. So we we like had a really tough year um, and 
but now things are you know have been a lot better like um jamie's now going back to work she's just got a um so she did her phd in um she's a physiotherapist and did it in prehabilitation for cancer research so she did it with peter mack um, but she's now um got a job with the murdoch children's research institute she's really excited about that like she's and alice is you know although she finds it hard to be left at daycare she's actually doing really well at daycare like we had some really nice reviews of how she's going and uh, she's a lot of fun like she she's walking around she's just learned like she started walking um lucky enough that I can sort of set my own hours I'm doing things like the mini maestros with her like the music classes and we've done swim classes together and it's just adds just such a deep level to your life um that it's yeah it's amazing so you're you're a pretty hands-on dad yeah, I love it. Like, I, yeah, as much as I, I can, like, there are, I think I could always be a bit better. Like, I think, and if, um, if I didn't think that, I'd probably be a bit worried because I think we can always, there's always just that one extra step that we could do that um, I think anyway. At the end of the day, it's just trying to share the load as much as you can, like, you know. Work as a team, yeah. It's not just, it's not just changing nappies. It's sometimes doing things for your wife that she can have, like, you know, time away from the baby or um just doing the little bits of cleaning up and that sort of stuff whatever you can do those little it's the little things that that build up and count like the big gestures are nice sure but it's the it's the daily little things that really count um in a relationship and are you still carving out time for yourself with your your hockey and, and whatever you still got that yeah so um so with hockey though like i've just i've picked up an injury so i'm doing a bit more just like gym work at the moment yeah, and also because we've got two dogs as well, um, often we'll take them in the morning, just just me and the dogs, which is really nice um, to have that time to myself, really, yeah. And would you say your parenting styles are similar or kind of divergent? No, we're pretty similar. Like uh, we ha- And this is the thing, we had a lot of conversations prior to even trying for kids that like what, how would we want to parent, the, parent them? And it's, it is a lot down the um, sort of gentle parenting route I, I really kind of relate to that and I can see it's it's a, just a respectful thing right like it's when kids are having big emotions they're just it's just their ability to deal with them is a lot smaller than ours and so understanding that and kind of letting them have those times where they just are going to scream well that's just them like you know you can the best thing you can do for them is to love and support them through that yeah and to greet that with compassion and understanding not with your own level of anger you don't you don't respond to a level nine uh toddler if they're at level nine you don't respond at level nine if you can yeah guys if you can help it um <laughs> and if you can't that's the time to walk away yeah and and put the baby down or walk away and uh, or just to you know to take some time and just kind of you know uh let them like you say let them have those emotions and just and just sit with it and make sure that they're not hurting themselves mm. and just and just kind of reflect what you're witnessing. Yes, you want that, you want that toy. I know you want that toy. It's really hard to not, you know, to not have that toy. And I understand that that's hard. Just saying, yeah. you know, supportive things like that, I think is the is the key there. And then like just sorry, just so quickly add to that. Like I, I find one of the things that I've really taken from it is um you're also not always going to get it right. Like, you know, there are times where like, you know, they're reacting at a time where you're also emotionally exhausted and emotionally at a high level and you might not get it right. But it's the ability to actually apologize 
you know, Alice doesn't have the language to really know what I'm saying, but I still apologize to her if I ever say something in a bit like of a, a way that I wouldn't want to normally because it's it's powerful like it's it's the child then learns that okay it's it's like I'm not always going to get it right but here's how I deal with something when I get things wrong and that's a really important thing I'm really supportive of the gentle parenting kind of philosophy as well I have to admit Uh, so how was your relationship Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about how you know I mean you said you you know you've gone through your own kind of struggles as you became a father and obviously that's going to impact on on Jamie and and your relationship and so how did how did all that go down um so she's been really supportive of of that and like be reaching out for help and everything that's I think she really appreciated where that was coming from there's been struggles like you know it's not um it's not plain sailing like there's a lot of things that you kind of have to come to terms with one thing that I kind of wasn't I guess terribly prepared for is I suppose like that intimacy and things like that really just they take a hit uh, particularly early on it's something that um when you when you start to understand that um a nursing mother like if, if particularly if you're um partner breastfeed chooses to breastfeed is they can be really touched out like and even just like you know the thought of having just a little cuddle or anything like that is they just want they need their space because they've got this baby that's basically clinging off them so much of the day and so it does it starts to feel isolating and it's I think it's very easy to get in a negative headspace and think like you know oh I'm not you know I'm not getting the intimacy that I desire and like kind of need but they're like, you know, it's to, it's not happening to you. It's a kind of, a, how do I describe how I feel about it? The, the way I like to put this here, maybe I can help you out. I think, I think yeah, it, it's important not to blame the individual. Yeah. Because it's natural. Yeah. Yep. So you, the, the, as you say, a nursing mother has gone from me to we. She feels entirely responsible for the survival of her child, of her offspring. And so dads actually are coming second for a little while. And that we kind of just have to deal with that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's not her fault. All of the hormones that are you know, running, all the chemicals, brain chemicals that are running through her body at that time are saying, actually, he's, the best thing you can do is just, you know, be supportive mm. and, and you know, just not, just leave me alone for a little while. And, and guys to recognize that as well, that it's actually not her, that it's not her that, you know, she hasn't fallen out of love with you. It's just, it's very difficult to go through this process. Her identity's changed her, you know, it's called matrescence. There's actually a name for it, which is linked to, you know, the word adolescence or pubescence where, where your body is going through changes and you, and, you know, your brain chemicals, your hormones are also changing and, and, you know, and it's very difficult that identity mm. shift and and for dads as well, dads has got an you know you've got an identity shift as well, and you have to, I guess, renegotiate what your partnership is like, what your relationship is like, how you do work as a team, and sometimes that's just going to be, yeah, you 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 do whatever I guess you can to to get through that time, but it is it it can be a very difficult time for a lot of men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, other than that, like, I think there's many ways that we've actually grown closer um, because of it. Um, just It's just a different, like, once you've seen your partner or your wife go through something like that, um, like to actually do such an amazing thing, like as firstly grow, but then care for and like be, you know, the primary caregiver to this tiny little thing that just is so helpless without you. 
it's amazing. Like if you take that time to actually acknowledge that. And I found like, you mentioned mindfulness earlier, doing like gratitude, like daily gratitudes and kind of just thinking through those, those moments that you're like, wow, like it's amazing that, you know, she's dealt with all the external things, but also has kind of done such an amazing job being Alice's mum. Yeah. It's very inspiring. And something that we did as well as we just before she was born we wrote a letter for to be opened at six weeks when she was six weeks old and then after that we then wrote a letter to each to each other like I think it was 12 weeks and then we did six months and a year and that is such a lovely what because it's basically like what you want them to know like what you think they'll be like at six months old or anything like that um, but also to it's a good way to really get across how you how amazing you think they are like and because I know sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm not the best with words, particularly like, you know, in that moment of trying to be, I remember I had in my head when I proposed, like I had this big speech in my head that I was going to do. And I think I blurted out like something like, I really love you. And I just like want to spend my life with you and then proposed. So it's a really good way to actually think about it. And it's a good reflection method as well. Like, because writing something down, writing a letter to somebody st- makes you stop and really think about like what you're writing to them yeah I think it's a, it's just a really powerful kind of mindfulness um, practice no that's a wonderful idea I, th- I think I'm gonna take that and uh, <laughs> you know and 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 advise other people that that's a real that's a great idea just sitting down this is during pregnancy yeah so we so we did it um just before she was born for like and it was kind of like a not a prediction thing but it was like what you think Alice will be like at six weeks old and and that sort of stuff but also like what you see now like what do you want what do you want your partner to know now and then we just would like read them at certain times like well we would choose a time that we both would read them like one would be like in the bedroom and one in the lounge or something and then sort of come back together and it was just a really connecting experience brilliant mate. brilliant that's a I feel feel like that might be a nice place to um to kind of wrap up but uh just finally um is there anything, you know, is there anything else that you would, you would kind of, you, you might've done differently or? Um, not, not really, to be honest. Like, I think um, I probably would have sought help earlier than, cause it's crazy. The first few weeks are just crazy. Like they're life changing. They're kind of, your whole world is completely different that seeking help at that time took a lot more effort than I think it would have like seeking help early and and preparing early and so during you know the last four weeks of pregnancy that probably would have been a better time for me to go and seek psychological help in preparation um because I think there's there's a lot of good resources out there um that you can be kind of aligned with um that will help prepare you for what's about to happen and give you the tools like the one thing about I find I found with therapy is it's it's not just sitting there talking to someone you end up with tools that you can actually use in situations that help you deal with something. Um, and that's what, that's probably the thing that I would have done differently is like reach out earlier. And the other thing is like, so something I did, I did do is actually I joined a dad's group earlier. Um, so luckily it was actually just one that had started up a few weeks prior to, um, to me joining. Uh, but it's uh, like, it's got quite a few me- like uh, members now and it's just a great place to, talk about parenthood with other men um, and talk, you know, there'll be, there'll be people that in there, not everyone will understand 
the exact thing you're feeling, but there'll probably be some people that will. Like that's that's the key thing is that your experiences feel very unique, but often like a lot of other people have been through it and know how you're feeling. And it's a good good way to kind of just, you know, we've done things like bowling as a group and have like regular uh, morning like breakfasts and that sort of stuff. And it's, yeah, so that's been really good. Is there one, any final advice you would give to uh, the expectant dad there? Just pay attention in the birth classes and actually just be, be present there. Like, I mean, there are people that have done them, but sat there on their phone half the time and things like that, but just support the, your, your partner will feel so much more supported if you take an interest in it. And that's, that's often like half the battle is actually being interested and being invested. You might not get everything right. You're not going to know exactly when to provide support and things like that. But if you've made the effort and like are interested, that's such a powerful support thing. So yeah, be, be present. Yeah, good. And and if, if you're extra keen, you can always do the Birthing Dads program as well. So, which is exactly, um, you know, it, it's uh, very much targeted at dads well thank you so much um Stuart for joining us today and it's been wonderful to hear your advice and to hear about your journey and even although it's harrowing it's great to hear that you've uh, you know you've kind of come through that now and you, you know you're moving forward as a dad and finding your way so thanks for uh, thanks for joining us thanks for having me it's been yeah good to talk about it and yeah hopefully this helps or at least settles some people's minds hey <laughs> cheers mate thanks very much I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.